I always enjoyed to play at US Open and uh, throughout uh, my career I had the best results over there. I enjoy also to play uh, in front of the big crowd and you can have uh, hot days, cold days, windy days, you can play in the night, you have to adapt to everything. Is different in its own way. It's very unique stadium we have in tennis. It's 23,000 people, and now with the roof construction on in the last couple of years, it really looks spectacular. I like that stage. You know, I like when the crowd gets into it, and it's uh, it's just a lot of fun. It's great energy. I mean, uh, New York City is different to compared to any other city. It's it's different from the atmosphere. It's different. The tournament, you know, the people are very loud. It's very energetic and. We all love coming back here. It's special always to be in the US Open. Yeah, that court, that crowd brings you to the next level of energy, intensity and passion. So happy to be back and uh, excited to play again here in, in this amazing place. It's hard to win here. All the players are in, in good shape. There's always a guy who gets red hot just shortly before the US Open, plays well in Canada and Cincinnati, or just because they've had a good year and they're rested, maybe, you know, they make the breakthrough here. But uh, usually it is always the usual suspects who do very well here at the Open. A lot of tiebreakers, a lot of close matches, and you would expect something similar here at the US Open as well. Great and the good of the ATP Tour ahead of the final Grand Slam of the year, the US Open. I'm Gigi Salmon in New York. Well, when I say in New York, no, I am in New York. I'm in Manhattan, but I am just in New York, in Manhattan, arriving a little bit earlier today. So helping me out in case I say something strange <laughs> or wrong, which is highly likely, a very familiar voice to ATP Tennis Radio, Nick McCarville. Welcome to New York City, Gigi. Thank you. It's, it's getting to that stage when I've been here a few hours and things are just a little bit blurry. Yeah. Like I just said to you before we started, <laughs> what day is it? It is Saturday evening, actually. That's when we're recording the podcast here. We know the draw, obviously. We know the first two days. Yeah of play, but there's a lot to talk about, of course, coming up for the US Open. It is funny when you travel, you have done so from the London area to get here, and you're traveling back in time, but then you, what, you landed just after your takeoff time? Is that how it works? Oh, I can't, we can't even go there. I can't <laughs> That's even, too much I, math I actually for you. got lost halfway through that sentence. I was looking <laughs> at you thinking, you are speaking, but I'm not sure. Right, let's get, so ATP Tennis Radio podcast, we're going to go through quite a few things, but I've only just arrived. You not only do you live here, but you've actually been working on site for what nearly a week now. Yeah, six days. I mean, it's been fan week here. It's been this. They've tried to grow this week. The qualifying, they moved it up a day this year, so the qualifiers started on Monday, and they had qualifying all the way through on Friday. And it's free access for the fans. They had kids' day today, which was manic. I, I have to say you didn't miss much there. Even if you had the boys today, I don't know if you would have. <laughs> no, actually, it was so many cool things for the kids to do out there. But um, listen, the qualifying has been really intense. We've had some familiar names, some new names come through qualifying. I just love the atmosphere of 
these hardcore fans who come and watch the qualifying and you get right up close and you see I've been spending a lot of time for US Open TV with Mackie McDonald, the American player who's out with injury. And he's been giving me a lot of insight of how intense the qualifying because you can do is. you can do the coaching on the courts. So you can just lean on the side and just have a little natter with your coach. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's been a, a change for the USTA in the qualifying. We won't see that in the main draw, but the players actually saying Nicole Gibbs was saying the American that she really likes it because it doesn't feel like that pressure of a changeover. You can just chat to your coach when you're on their side of the court essentially whenever you want. Now, Media Day, they started doing this, was it last year? It has, uh, it's, it, it's. I, I haven't been to it because I normally arrive on the Saturday, but it, it, it looks it looks a bit odd. I mean, how it's, does it work? So I went yesterday. I mean, first of all, it's, it's a really cool atmosphere for the fans. It's in Louis Armstrong Stadium. On one half of the court, you have the main press conference and the players essentially up on this dais, which is like a throne. I was there for Roger Federer, and it literally felt like King Roger was uh, looking at his kingdom. Um, but fans actually were given U.S. Open radio earpieces and they could listen to the interviews because it's oh, not loudspeakered okay. inside the stadium. And then once they go from main press, they go over and do all of their video interviews. It is a weird setup. I'm not quite sure if I've bought into it yet. But as a fan activation, it's really cool. Um, it's a cool sightline for the photos. And I think for video, you know, instead of just a regular backdrop, you're getting them inside this new stadium as of last year, which is really awesome. Now, you're doing something slightly different, a little twist to last year. A little twist, yes. Yeah. So I'm doing a little world feed commentary for the USTA, but they're also launching for the first time what's called US Open Now. So it is their digital streaming platform. It will be on every day from 11 to 7. And basically, it is everything but live tennis. So if you want press conferences, if you want practice footage, if you want to hear from coaches and parents and the people around the players, if you want to know the food, the fashion, the culture, everything that goes into the U.S. <laughs> Open, that's U.S. Open now. We're going to be on Twitter every morning at 11, and then we stream live on usopen.org and the app. Now, we do have a lot of tennis to get stuck into. Yes, and if do. people think Nick and I are just having a catch-up, we've <laughs> yeah. done 40 minutes before we've actually started yeah. recording this podcast. But the other thing I wanted to touch on was US Open Pride, because a year ago, it's crazy, it was a year ago now, we were talking and you were getting ready to host the first event of its kind. And now here we are a year later, it's taken place at the other majors, and you're back here with, again, a sort of a different twist to it this year. Yeah, I mean, the USTA actually organized this event. They asked me to host it, uh, an LGBT conversation. We had a great panel led by Billie Jean King, which was fantastic. We had Olympian Adam Rapon. We had Jason Collins, a former basketball player. We had Billy Bean, who was a Major League Baseball player. We had Brian Vahaley, who came out a couple years ago. Listen, it was a really cool um, inclusion event. We had current players, Alison Van Untvank and her girlfriend, Gret Minen, were there. And we had a, a discussion about inclusion, about diversity, about the challenges that queer players face no matter what sport they're in. And um, it was really inspiring. Over 400 people. Billie Jean King got several standing ovations. The atmosphere was fantastic. And I appreciate the USTA being a huge, I mean, they organized it. It was a, their event. Uh, Gordon Smith, who's been the chairman here of the USTA for a while, came up to me at Media Day on Friday after we did the event on Thursday night. And he just said, wow, Nick, I didn't realize that there was this much to talk about. 
which is really cool because it's part of the sporting world that doesn't get talked about enough. And I was happy to be a part of that dialogue. And someone who's been very supportive of what you've been doing is Kevin Anderson. And the really sad news is that Kevin Anderson, we got the news actually today that with a right knee injury, it just seems the injuries at the moment for Kevin Anderson. We know on the, the silver lining to his injury cloud is he's going to be a dad yeah. to, to a baby girl with, with Kelsey in October. But so frustrating. He took a wild card into Winston-Salem and had to say, look, I'm not quite ready. And now, Nick, the knee is not ready for, for the major where he's been a finalist before. Yeah, I mean, the body just hasn't been right for Kevin all year. And I think it's a little bit of the toll of the success that he's had the last couple years the fact that he's been able to play so much high-level tennis and that's actually we see that with players sometimes especially players who have maybe bigger bodies that's a lot to manage and hopefully for Kevin the more rest that he can get he can come back maybe strong for the fall season or come back for the AO but yeah it is disappointing to lose a big server who's had great success here in the past and we knew it wasn't a surprise when it's confirmed that Juan Martin Del Potro we're seeing lots of it's great to see on Instagram videos of him in the gym or he's swimming and he's really good he's one of those players and this is when I think Instagram is a really useful tool because you can if the players want you to you can get a little insight into their lives so Del Potro he's great at doing little this is me on crutches now I'm off the crutches I'm in the pool I'm doing some bits and pieces so you can really get a feel for what they're doing and they let you know how things are going yeah I mean look at Delpo who in his last comeback said I didn't know if I could do it again so now he's putting in the work once again to try to get his body healthy if you haven't watched the documentary that the ATP team did they went actually to Tandil to Argentina to watch Delpo try to get back in shape the last time and it's it's similar to what he's trying to do now and he's having to take it slow but I mean all props to him and we miss him here last year I mean he had that great run here a year ago and he's obviously not a part of the U.S. Open this year and we'll sorely miss him. Let's focus on those who are fit and healthy and here and the, the first headline to come out of the draw is that if we are going to see Roger Federer take on Rafa Nadal at the US Open that we've never seen, it will have to be in the final. Yeah, uh, you know, the big headline, of course, was Novak Djokovic, the world number one, the defending champion, many people's big favorite to win this title once again. He and Roger Federer are on the same half of the draw, meaning they, Gigi, would face off in the semifinal. That means that Nadal is on that bottom half of the draw and he's got Dominic Team seeded to play him in the semifinal. Those are just by seeds, obviously, but it's still crazy to me that we haven't had Federer and Nadal, and it would quite be, you know, it, it would be a fairy tale if we could get them in the final. But uh, we've got a lot of a lot of tennis to play before we can talk about that, right? Yeah, it's unbelievable when you look <laughs> at the names and how they're spread out. In terms of the race to London, the big yeah. three have qualified, and we await to see who joins them. And we're still talking about the big three, aren't we? We're talking about those guys in terms of, of winning this major. There's all the stats about no one born since then or after this point yep. has done what these guys continue to do. 50 of the last 60 slams belong to these three guys. And actually, one of the things I did this fan week is I did a few fan uh, Q&As. They had a big center stage set up on the South Plaza. And I had the opportunity to interview Andy Roddick, Jim Courier, and John McEnroe separately. Oh, nice. But, and I'd never done 
done a Johnny Mac interview. I was a little nervous was for that? that one. He was great. I didn't know. <laughs> I never knew what he was going to say next, which was actually kind of refreshing. But all three of them, I asked them in different ways about the big three. And they just said, listen, they are the three favorites. There's no way you can't say that Djokovic is the favorite and that Federer and Nadal are close behind. But just because of the way that they've been able to perform at the majors. And it, it just blew me away to get these separate responses from these three legends that are all saying it's the big three against the, the what, the little 125? What do we call the rest <laughs> of the field? <laughs> it's, it comes down to that experience. So I was reading an article in the New Yorker today mm. that was done about Felix Ogiel-Yassim. And going into Wimbledon, he was listed as the, I think, the fourth or fifth favorite to win the title. And he said that was absolutely insane. He hadn't won a Grand Slam match going into that. We've got to remember his age. He's only just turned 19. (laughs) And he said, it's crazy to think that I could go through and win that tournament. And while we've seen Daniel Medvedev and what Daniel Medvedev is doing this year is unbelievable. You've then got to translate that form over the best of three sets. And you've got to stick it over the five set format. And you've got to win seven matches over the course of two weeks. And it's a completely different beast. It really is. And in a sense, we've moved we've moved past the conversation of Raonic and Dimitrov and Nishikori and Chilich and this whole generation of guys who could, can, will they beat the big three, the big four when it was Andy involved, of course. And now it's into this generation of Zverev and Medvedev and Tsitsipas and all of these guys, you know, throw Dominic team in there, too is it's hard enough to beat these guys at their best, but to do it on the biggest stages, to do it over two weeks, over five sets, over seven matches, that really is the mental, physical, um, that's the battle that these guys are having to fight now. It's interesting listening to some people talk, and they do not have Roger Federer in the mix for this title. (laughs) We're talking about a two-week test of attrition, of mental strength, of playing your best tennis. And I, I really like for Federer, and again, I don't often say this, but this is a draw that just lends to him right now. And I think he needs that because he was not happy losing to Andre Rublev in his second match in Cincinnati. He was frustrated by that. We talk about having having the knowledge and experience of having done it, having won those seven matches yeah. over two weeks. Stan Wawrinka, does he have another major, another Grand Slam title in him? I don't know. You know, for Wawrinka, I think the way that he's been able to work and, you know, find his physical, I think he's still working back physically. But gosh, this is a first first round match that I'm really excited for. He's playing Yannick Sinner, who's had an incredible year. He's won two challengers. He joins the likes of Djokovic and uh, Felix Ojealiasim and uh, a host of names to win two challengers at 17. He just turned 18. And that's going to be a tough test for Vavrinka to start because Sinner is grooved in. He played three challenger matches here. Um, but I, I've got to say, I think I had Stan on my court in Cincinnati. Um, and I just, there's just those, those uh, doubting question marks that float around his head time and again in his tennis. And I think that I don't know if I'm if we're seeing him climb the mountain or if we're seeing him kind of walk on this level ground and not be able to necessarily find his mountaintop again. 
just seems to be a real buzz about Yannick Sinner. There's also a buzz about Daniel Medvedev, and rightly so with what he's doing. He, he's a Russian wall. Nothing is getting past him. Nothing is getting around him. When you think he's down and out, and even when he admits to being exhausted, he finds a way through. He has got a game style that can scramble the minds of the best of them. Is this is this one step too far now, moving to five sets with the amount of tennis he's played, or can you see him going pl- deep in this quarter? I mean, he's played a lot of tennis this summer, right? Runner-up in D.C., runner-up in Montreal, and then he wins Cincinnati. And I wasn't in D.C. or Montreal, but I know in Cincinnati the weather was similar to those two previous. It was hot and it was humid. And I had Medvedev on my court and, and at one point during Cincinnati, and it his tennis takes energy. I mean, the way that he is able to construct points and make opponents awkward and move the ball around the court, he that takes work. And I would be very interested to see what he and his team did in that week since winning in Cincinnati because he needs every ounce of energy to get through his draw. Could take on Taylor Fritz. That's the first seed he would face. Maybe Fabio Fonini or Nicolas Basilishvili in the fourth round. Those would both be interesting contests. He now kind of takes on, to me, Gigi, that Sasha Zverev role from a couple years ago where he's just won a Masters 1000. He's the in-form player. No one quite knows how to beat him when he's playing his best. How does that translate to the slam stage? And uh, honestly, I don't know. Nick McCarvel and I sitting, talking through the draw in a room. I was going to say the lobby. It's not the lobby, is it? The hotel. It's, it's sort of, is it the breakfast Are we sitting in the breakfast We are room? in the breakfast. We're almost in a nook right now. We're on the 12th floor and uh, Midtown East is lit up around us. And then before we started, you probably can't hear the music that's playing sort of softly in the background, but Nick disappeared and he was trying to find the switch <laughs> to turn the music off. You were everywhere. I mean, I did go back down, into the kitchen area. Yeah, off. I didn't find Why did the... you go into the kitchen Well, to because turn the I just off? figured if there, it felt like it was, that's where the employees would be in. Um, I just felt like that's where, where would you have found the volume control? I don't think I would have gone to the kitchen. <laughs> I'm not sure where I would have gone. <laughs> In my jet lag state, I just would have wandered off and maybe not found my way back. I mean, I did turn the TV down. Which was, I didn't hear that in the first place. <laughs> I did. It was a good start, wasn't it, to Nick and I getting this going. From, from those who were looking at as possible contenders and challengers to those who there are question marks over. And I'm even going to throw Sitsipas in this at the moment with current form. But we have to start with Sasha Zverev and the lacking in confidence. You just can see it oozing out of him. And it's highlighted stats-wise by double faults. I mean, he's averaging, he's averaging one a game at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it just, uh, and we saw it in that loss in Cincinnati. I mean, I think he had 20, 22 double faults, which is uh, stupendous. And I actually listened in on US Open Radio to his press conference um, <laughs> on Louis Armstrong. And this was the quote that stuck out to me I need to get my game back. My game isn't where I've wanted it to be the last few months. And then after that, we can talk about the mental stuff because someone was asking him about mentality and him losing the confidence. And he said he feels like if he can feel the tennis ball the way that he used to, that then he feels like he can start dealing with more of the mental thing. But then it's also like, well, wait, do you feel like it should be switched around? But it's hard in tennis, right? Every loss feels compounded 
by by itself. And so he just needs to be able to maybe find a run of form. But listen, starting off against Radu Albat, who's had a pretty good year himself, the Moldovan, and then in the second round, he's got the winner of TFO against Karlovic, which is not an easy second round. So I just think he needs to build somehow. He needs to build from scratch. But it's interesting if he's... I just feel in recent years we always talk about the mental side and seeing sports psychologists so closely linked to to performance. But he's sort of saying, well, no, it's I'm going to see how I feel striking the ball. And when that feels good, then the mental side of things will fall into place. He does say, Gigi, that he's got dad in his corner and that he trusts no one more than Alexander Sr., um, I just feel like if he can get that run of form that he can build on it, he also could potentially have in the third round Benoit pair. We never know what we're going to get with Benoit, who just finished as runner-up in Winston-Salem. So he's playing some pretty good ball himself. Now, we restrained from running through all the first round matches because <laughs> people who don't listen to the podcast when it comes out will be like, but half these people are out. What are you talking about? But one first round, well, a couple, but the first yeah. one to start with is, is Stefano Sitsipas, who hasn't had the form or the results he would have wanted to of late, against Andre Rublev, who was the original of the Russian trio to be Russian number one. He got the high ranking, he got to the US Open quarterfinals, then injuries struck him down. He's working his way back to the point that in Cincinnati, he can beat Roger Federer in less than an hour. He played incredible tennis in Cincinnati. I actually had him previous to that match. I had him on my court. He was the guy that beat Stan Wawrinka. And so to beat Wawrinka, and I, I had to ask him about playing Federer next. And he just said, listen, I'm going to go out there and I'm, I'm going to give myself a chance to beat Federer. He obviously then did. But he is so tennis obsessed. He loves this sport so much, and the fact that when he was away with those injuries, he was so frustrated he could barely watch the sport, and now to have an opportunity to to take on Stefano Sisipas in the first round, that is absolutely blockbuster. Yeah, cannot wait for that one. Now, a voice that is becoming familiar to ATP Tennis Radio listeners is reporter Mike Cation, who is working on US Open Radio, the coverage over the next couple of weeks, so I imagine he'll be alongside Nick in the commentary box from time to time. Now, this is ahead of another blockbuster first round clash because Mike spoke with the Canadian Dennis Shapovalov who faces his fellow Canadian in Felix Auger-Aliassime. How's your energy level right now? Uh, do you feel spirited, uh, kind of excited heading towards the final Grand Slam of the year? Yeah, definitely. I feel feel really motivated. Uh, like I said, in the middle of the season, I kind of lost that spark after Miami. I didn't have a lot of, lot of time to to rest and uh, went to Europe kind of kind of half ready for the tour and uh, one thing led to another a couple bad draws and and here you are you know two months later playing playing with not so much confidence and uh, all of a sudden it's it's a lot tougher to, to, to win these matches but uh, for now right now I feel feel a lot fresh like like you mentioned I stepped back from tennis a little bit I uh, decided to skip Washington just just gain a little bit more time for myself to, to spend with my with my family with my friends and uh, yeah I feel I feel super fresh ready to go. What were the things that you were trying to do when you were with family and friends over the last couple of weeks? I actually went around Toronto a lot. Um, we went by the water. We went to Niagara one day mm-hmm. to, for to to see the falls. Um, just just spent it, you know, away from tennis, not thinking about it. Um, and yeah, we just enjoyed the city. You know, we we went to some arcades, just just regular teenage stuff it was uh, it was a lot of fun that makes me wonder you know you had success at such an early age do you kind of miss 
that maybe you didn't get some of those opportunities? Definitely. I think uh, I think what what's happened along the way is that I shot up so quickly, and uh, all of a sudden this this life it, it kind of became a job for me, and uh, I stopped enjoying it. Um, not not in terms that I stopped enjoying the sport, but it's just like I was I was looking at it differently, looking at the matches differently. Um, when I started off, every match was was such a thrill for me, and now I was like, oh, okay, another week, another week. So so it's kind of about finding that, and uh, for sure, for sure, you miss just being, or you or you wonder what what it would be like to to kind of just be a regular twenty year old, having a job, but also having having a lot a big social life. But uh, I think I think I do a good job of kind of keeping close circle, keeping my closest friends, and and kind of bring them alongside with me. But I think the most important thing is that I've kind of kind of figured myself out, and uh, and I found that that spark and that that inspiration to, to play the game again. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Available on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and ATPTour.com. Now shortly we're going to be hearing from Patrick McEnroe. He did an interview with Jill Krabus at the Rogers Cup talking about the states of American men's tennis. But just throwing some names around, there's John Isner. Steve Johnson, who faces Nick Kyrgios, and you have to wonder, a player ahead of a match against Nick Kyrgios, it it must be quite a tough one to prepare because you don't know what you're going to be confronted with. It can be the good, the bad, or the ugly of the Australian. I mean, the player, what about the chair umpire? Can you imagine when those chair (laughs) umpires are assigned to courts and they walk in and see, I think they actually don't know which matches they're doing until they actually arrive on site. We always get the emails just past 10 o'clock in the morning. So (laughs) I think that the chair umpires are told, welcome, you're doing this match. Um, No, listen, for Steve Johnson, uh, you know, that's going to be a tough first round match. But I actually think it's an atmosphere that he might try to feed off of. Stevie J loves the American crowd. He loves the U.S. Open. He's got that slice backhand that I think could really neutralize the Kyrgios power. Um, but that's obviously going to be a dynamic one that will will certainly be one for us to be excited for. Well, when you, you see the names, and, and there's Sam Query who's been working on, on getting his ranking back up, and Taylor Fritz you touched on earlier, Francis Tiafo, there's Tennis Sangren. Which, which of those, who of those do you see one of those guys going deep in this Europe, US Open to get the US Open fans, the home fans, excited? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, for the first time, you've got Taylor Fritz seated at the U.S. Open, which I I think that he's very excited about. Obviously, he comes in um, in that part of the draw that includes Daniil Medvedev, and he's got Feliciano Lopez in the first round, which is a really tough ask because Lopez has all this experience, and I think Taylor's going to come in, you know, feeling some of that pressure. And then in the second round could have Yoshi Nishioka, who's played really good tennis recently, um, another lefty. So those that's two lefties sort of dangling there. And then I thought actually that Opelka would be the form American coming in, at least of the young guys. But then he has Fabio Fonini in the first round. So I just think it's, once again, tough. And for Francis Tiafo, he doesn't have an easy ask in the first round either because he's got Ivo Karlovich. So none of the none of the young Americans, at least the the ones that have really been talked about, were handed uh, pretty easy first round matches. We're going to keep our American theme going. I mentioned Patrick McEnroe because he's got some forthright views when it comes to the state of men's tennis in America. And some of those came across when we spoke to our reporter Jill Krabus recently at the Rogers Cup. 
I mean, I think obviously there's some really good players. I mean, Isner's got you know biggest serve ever and a great forehand, and I think he's ma- I think he's actually maximized what he's capable of, and I think he'll continue to try to do that. So he could certainly come through and make another big run like he did at Wimbledon, and uh, you know win as he did in Miami, get to the final. So he's going to be a factor, but because of his size and his mobility, you know he's limited as far as like being at the top top. Uh, he has been as high as eight in the world. No, no I'm saying you've seen him be top three, top four. Okay, okay so he's that's not going to happen. Uh, but when I look at when I look at the guys that have a chance, it's obviously the younger guys. You know, Query, Johnson, Sock. Who knows where? You know, when he, if he can come back and be healthy, he may have the best shot of out of all those guys. And if and he Fritz get, has had a great well, year. Well, I'm talking. I'm getting to yeah. the younger guys. So okay. The younger guys, I think, have more upside. And I would put Fritz, Opelka, obviously Tiafo at the top of the list. Tommy Paul starting to make some, you know, good uh, moves in the last 12 months as well. Escobedo, you know, you've got a few other guys. But I think those three are the best shots to get to the top 10. Um, win a major, you know, that's going to be tricky. Um, you know, Fritz is, is, in my mind, the best pure tennis player out of the three. But he's... He's not a great athlete. He's a very good athlete. He's a great tennis player. I mean, he's got great coordination and great timing of the ball, but he's not super fast. Uh, he's working on it. I know he's worked hard on that, and he's getting better. But does he have the just explosive speed to, to compete with these guys at the top? That, to me, is still a question mark. Tiafo does have a lot of that speed, natural athleticism, but he's got a lot of limitations technically in his game. And um, he comes in and out of matches still a little bit more than you'd like to see. You know, the forehand and the serve are kind of funky swings, which he manages pretty well. And I think he's, to me, he still has a lot of upside because I see that he's got a passion for the game and he's got an intensity that if could be channeled, you know, really focused, I think he'd be rough. Um, Opelka is an X factor because he's got, a, you know, obviously an Isner type game. But he has a little more mobility than Isner. I would say his serve's not quite as big yet as good. Isner's is unbelievably reliable, can do a lot more with the serve, not just hit it big. Uh, Opelka, I think, hits the ball. His forehand's not as big as Isner's. His backhand's a little better. His return's better. His movement's better. But uh, Isner, what people don't realize about him, is a great competitor. Competes really well, smart taking care of his body really well in the last five years. So I think out of those three American young guys, I think they've all got a chance to be top ten. To win a major is going to be a stretch for any of them. You know, the game is more global than ever, and uh, it's the, the, the European countries particularly are getting some of their best athletes on the male side to play tennis, which is not always the case for us in the U.S. We get, I think we get... Uh, arguably the best female athletes to go to tennis Um, and that's why we're continuing to produce a lot of great female players. So saying there that there are a lot of good guys but maybe there isn't a great player among those players. 
Yeah, I actually tend to agree with Patrick there. And I think that that's been the struggle is actually at one point it was Jared Donaldson, who was the leader of the young guns. At one point we thought it was going to be Taylor Fritz. We thought it was going to be a Tiafo. Now it felt like, now it feels like in 2019 that Opelka's had a breakout season, yet he gets a tough first round draw at the U.S. Open. And so now you've got younger guys like Jensen Brooksby, who qualified. He played some really good tennis in the qualifying um, and so these American guys, I felt it with Mackie McDonald this week, everyone's supporting each other and they're, they're trying to push one another, but no one has been able to find that next, next level. How much does American men's tennis need a massive name to break through the other sports? Because there are so many sports in America that are above tennis. I mean, it's not, you know, you've got your NFL and baseball. So how much do they need a Sampras or an Agassi, a massive name? Yeah, no, they need it. And look at what's happening on the women's side. I mean, Coco Goff has become a sensation. She's They've put her on Armstrong for her first match, and she's not even really playing a known entity in Anastasia Potapova. But on the men's side, you know, I feel you do feel like Fritz and uh, Tiafo have those X factors about their personalities. Yeah. They're both really unique guys. They're they're smart. They're engaging, but they just have not. And that shows you how tough the ATP is right now. Why haven't the little 125 been able to break through against <laughs> the big three? It's because they're playing at this next level. And then you you clump this whole nother section of guys who have been knocking on the door. And then it's actually Tiafo and Fritz and Opelka who are knocking on that door to try to get into the waiting room. <laughs> and so that is the level of tennis right now that's being played in men's in the men's game. So I imagine when you think back to when you were growing up, Roddick, Sampras, I mean, who were you? Team Sampras, Team Agassi, where did you fall? Oh, I loved Agassi because that was the kind of, I just loved, I was a tennis player myself. I wasn't very good, but <laughs> I loved playing from the baseline. And so I Did I you was, love the, the, the denim look with the oh, longish yeah. hair? Yeah. I mean, I was a huge Agassi fan. I actually came to... I loved the way Sampras was able to win the U.S. Open going away. I mean, for me, summers were my newspaper route with my brothers. We had a newspaper route, and then we'd watch Wimbledon, breakfast at Wimbledon, because it was early in Montana (laughs) where I grew up. But I loved Chang and Courier, and I remember Todd Martin high-fiving the crowd at the U.S. Open the one year that he won at, like, 2 in the morning. Um, Yeah, you know, those are the players that I looked up to as a kid myself. And so now I think of kids growing up and who are they looking up to? I mean, certainly they're looking up to Rafa and Roger, but you want to have that you want to have that national connection especially for the US because we have such a great tennis history in this country. Now Nick mentioned that 2019 has a feeling that it could be the year for Riley Opelka if we're talking about a young American making his way, but he also said he's got a tough one in terms of the Italian Fabio Fanini. It's an interesting looking first round clash and Mike Cation has been speaking with Opelka's coach Jay Berger and they started by discussing something that we talk about a lot when it comes to Riley Opelka, his style of play. Riley spoke in Atlanta and said he didn't want to be identified as a serve bot. That was uh, something he said he wanted to eliminate. How have you and Jean-Yves Albonnet worked to make sure he's a little bit more complete? Yeah, I mean, I think Riley, um, you know, when I, you know, I'm on the court with him every day. Uh, he's certainly a capable from the ground. He's an extremely good mover. Um, he actually has very good intangibles. You'll see that. You see it in practice. You see it in matches where he has to has to take one hand off the racket, whether it's on the back inside or switch grips. So 
um, you know, certainly we're, we're making him a more complete player. We're trying to. He's trying to make himself a more complete player. And, uh, and I think every aspect of his game has improved. What do you think has been the biggest jump that he's made over the last two years? Certainly with his forehand has improved a lot. Um, I think clarity in his tennis game and, and finding a lot more clarity, um, which he takes really ownership of. I mean, this process is working with him, guided a lot by him, um, uh, as well as, as uh, certainly improvements with his return and, and his serve as well. So what is the long-term goal? What, what would a t- complete package for Riley Opelka be? Well, his coaches previous to me and JY uh, have done such a nice job in putting his game together. People like Tom Gullickson, people like Brian Gottfried, people like Diego Moyano and Michael Sell um, to, to give him the correct grips, the correct swing shapes. Um, so... Uh, we're not making wholesale changes on everything, on anything, uh, nor do we have to. Uh, so, so I think it's it's just about getting better every day in every aspect of, of the game. Do you remember when you first met Riley Opelka? I do. Yeah, I met Riley probably when he was ten or eleven uh, at a camp in Daytona Beach, Florida, I believe, and. Uh, you know, you could turn around and you could catch him moving quickly. Every, every so often, he was a big kid uh, back then as well. But, but certainly, um, certainly a good athlete. You were the head of men's tennis for the USTA for what was it, nine years? Is that correct? Nine Closing or ten on years. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you got to oversee a lot of this um, youthful development of the young Americans yes, on the men's I side. Did. Um, what has impressed you most about Riley, about Francis, about Taylor? Is that now they're top fifty players? Yeah, and I, and I think you can add Michael Moe and Tommy Paul and Mackenzie McDonald. I mean, uh, there are a lot of them. I mean, first of all, is that I think they're generally nice kids. Um, they have an incredible camaraderie together. As young American players, they spend a lot of time together. They they authentically. Uh, want each other to do well, um, and it's been it's been really impress- impressive to see how much they've improved. Uh, you know, to see improvement over six months when I haven't seen Francis play and and watch him again, and 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 how how good they've gotten. And before I let you go, um, Riley Opelka is quite the fashion maven. He is. Um, you know, you've you've got a little bit of a New Balance action, some Lacoste. I'm I'm surprised he lets you go without the perfect matching outfit, Mr. Well, Jay Berger. I thought I looked great, but <laughs> Mike, I, you know, kind of disappointed that you don't think so. Well, he he is. If one thing is out of place, he seems to notice. He is. It. I t- I tell you, I've definitely learned a lot about food from him. <laughs> That's a lot his about dad, trucks. Though. A lot about trucks. <laughs> I ate at three Michelin star restaurants in London, which I've never eaten at. <laughs> and I certainly have learned a lot more about fashion than I think I even wanted to learn. But uh, now he's an interesting kid and, and certainly a lot of fun to, to travel with. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. To an American who's returning, he's not one of the next gen, but it's good to have him back on tour. That's Jack Sock. He's been out for a long time with an injury that got at the start of the year. He faces the tricky Pablo Cuevas in the first round and sticking with Mike Cation, who recently spent time with Jack Sock. 
what people want to know most right now, Jack, is how is the body, how, how far along have you progressed to getting back at, at peak shape? Actual health, I mean, from the injury, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm closer for sure. Um, with the specific injury I had, I mean, it, it won't feel normal probably. They said it could take a year to 18 months, but, I mean, it doesn't really affect my tennis. It, it gets stiff sometimes. It was my thumb, obviously my right thumb, so um, very, pretty important thumb <laughs> and finger for, for tennis. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's progressed to where I can play consistently. Um, it feels stiff some days just from, from, you know, playing again, obviously, and playing this consistently, but um, it doesn't hinder my, my, my play or anything, my game at all. So... Um, that's a positive for me that I'm able to, you know, play consistently again. Took a lot longer than I thought. Honestly, you don't realize, you know, how much you need your thumb. I don't think until uh, until you injure it. So, um, but yeah, everything's everything's good now. Just yeah, in a good headspace and just happy to be playing again and kind of just gonna go out there and play play freely. That's the big question, isn't it? How, how is your head? Um, you know, it's it's obviously yeah. been a rough year before the injury happened. So, yeah. how are you kind of resetting um, that side? Uh, I'll tell you, it's a lot better now than it was uh, all of 2018, that's for sure. And even January, I mean, I, I mean, I played one actual tournament and it wasn't, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't play great that first round there. So, um, you know, you never, you never want to be injured, obviously. You never want, you know, your ranking to drop, all that. Um, you love, I mean, I love to compete and I love to play, but um, if I had to pick a time for to be injured, I think it was a blessing in disguise because um, I think I needed a break for a little bit. I needed to reset in the head. I was... Um, Pretty low on my, you know, low self-esteem, low on confidence, and I haven't really been that way. Not that I was ever arrogant in the past, but you know, you just have confidence. You know, I progressed my whole career. You know, ranking had gone up, and I, you know, I obviously 2017 was a great year. So I know the level I can play, and it just, and I think it was great for me to take and have that time off. Um, obviously, heal up and then and get back to it. Sport's pretty humbling at times, um, but it's nice for you, I'm sure, that the USTA selected you to get the wild card for the U.S. Open. What does this mean for you, especially after the last couple of years? Yeah, obviously, it means it means everything. Um, I mean, I, I thank them today on social media. Obviously, if they see this, anyone from them sees this, uh, thank you again for, for the opportunity. Um, I don't take it for granted, that's for sure. Um, I know... Some people thought, you know, it could, you know, it was a good chance I would get one. I, I never, you never know for sure, obviously. Um, and I, you know, I'm just, I'm thankful I'm get to, I get to play. Um, you know, without it, you know, who knows if I'd been in the tournament at all. Um, and, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy. Time flies. It's, my, it's gonna be my tenth U.S. Open. Um, you know, I've been there a lot. That place has meant so much to me. Um, good, bad, and indifferent. I've had amazing memories. I've had rough memories there, but um, just. To be in that atmosphere, to, to be able to be in that locker room, to go out, play in front of your home fans, um, there's nothing like it for an, you know a U.S. player. There's nothing like it uh, in our sport. So I'm just thankful and grateful I'm able to play it again. Finally, what was the, the one thing you did to kind of get that competitive spirit going uh, while you were gone? You, you obviously you couldn't go Fortnite route uh, you're with, your, with your thumb being, being yeah. out of commission. What was, how did you raise that level of competition while you were out? Uh, well, I couldn't do anything at the beginning. I couldn't even brush my teeth for the first two months, three or whatever. I mean, it, it, like I said, you don't realize how much you need it. Even Q-tipping my ears, opening a bottle, I couldn't, you know, all of it. It's, uh, so the first little bit was, was activity-wise was fairly boring. Um, I was able to spend some incredible time with quality time with my family, my friends, my girlfriend. Um, 
So I, it was in that sense, it, it was, you know, some of the best six months of my life because mm -hmm. we don't get to do that ever. Um, but in the competitive and the, you know, sports and being active, which I, I love to be active, I like to do stuff. Uh, obviously, it wasn't the most exciting, but um, yeah, I was able to go on a vacation and I was able to be with my dogs and I was able to be in my own house for more than five days. And um, yeah, I was able to spend time with, with, you know, the people that I love and, and that are close to me. So um, yeah, it was, it was a tricky situation. I, I loved not being on tour for that sense, but also I'm obviously I miss competing. I love competing. I'm a very competitive guy, so I miss that aspect of it as well. On iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, and ATPTour.com, this is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. The one thing I have to say about this draw is there are so many different storylines, especially in the first four days, those first two rounds. I don't often feel this way, but I think that a lot of a lot of what we could see deep in the tournament could be decided in the first two days. Just maybe there could be a big upset. Maybe someone could go out that we don't necessarily expect. And I don't always necessarily feel that way about the men's draw. You often feel it about the women's draw because there's so many dark horses and so many uh, title contenders. But it does feel like, I don't know why I'm excited about the big three against the little 125. <laughs> I like the way this... Coined, can I coin that, I by like, the way? I like the way there's a little 125. <laughs> and in terms... Okay, so you think there might be an upset and someone listening to this on... Wednesday or Thursday might be like, wow, Nick McCarville said this thing was going to happen and it has. But now I'm going to ask for your prediction to who's going to lift the trophy, which might go against that. And I'm not sure the little 125 are going to make it into your prediction. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, you know what? I actually had to give my prediction when we did a chat in Cincinnati for the preview show. And I went out on a limb and I picked... Novak Djokovic to defend his title. Did you? <laughs> the thing is, though, is what that... What happens to the little 125? Okay, because you know me and my <laughs> ATP tennis radio picks when we do our vault and, and when we do our picks week in, week out. I always like to go left field. And this time, I'm just going with the sensical pick. Djokovic is playing the best tennis in the world right so now. So I've also gone Djokovic because in the, in the time capsule at the start of the year, I, I picked him to win all, all four slams. It didn't quite work out in Paris but we have for people listening thinking what are we talking about we have a predictions yeah. table in a league through the masters right so every masters we have you pick someone what is it one to eight or mm. one to nine one to eight one to eight one to eight and then nine to sixteen then one for the rest of the field there are points up for grabs and I'm told by our producer there is a prize for the winner so when it's your so you didn't know this so when it comes to points and prizes you're going left field but when there's nothing at stake <laughs> you're going with a nailed on favorite this is the time when you can be you can go for the little 125 and pick anybody. Yeah, well, when I made the pick for Djokovic, I was doing the World Feed TV preview show, so I didn't feel like I could pick Yannick Sinner to but win now you the can. US Open. Just you and no, I. No, I've made my pick. Now you can. But I feel it's not just you and I. It's millions of people. Do you want to do a separate I'm... ATP Tennis Radio podcast oh, pick? Now you're giving. I can't make two picks. <laughs> okay, so if Djokovic, okay, if Djokovic, if he's the big shock, if he's the big shock in the Roberto first couple of days, Cabellas Bena in the first round. Yeah. Oh gosh. So you're you've gone Djokovic you're, too. You're this trying, is the first time we've ever agreed on anything. You're trying to leave the top three, aren't you? You're trying to dip into the little, little 125. The little 125. Uh, I mean, it, maybe it's not very fun. Maybe it's not very sexy. But Daniil Medvedev, he's playing great tennis. Let's finally see a guy prove himself at one level and make that Grand Slam leap 
a few weeks later. Okay, so Nick's going Djokovic. And he's going to do it by beating Djokovic in the quarterfinals. Oh, wow. Okay, so you've now completely switched. You're, you're Team Medvedev. You I, let me switch. <laughs> <laughs> you've just said he's going to beat Djokovic. We were recording this, right? <laughs> you can rewind 20 seconds earlier when you said you can make another I pick. don't know how to rewind Who's on a podcast. Who's your among the little 125? I don't have one. It's just Djokovic. Come on. Because he's going to win. <laughs> the little 125 needs you. David Goffin. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> if you'd like to listen to Nick when this podcast ends, if you haven't had enough of us, then Nick, you world feed, a little bit of world feed. World feed TV, yep. And I'm also going to be on US Open Radio, which you can find on usopen.org and on the app. I'm calling and the opening night, which I'm excited about. And US Open Now, which is streaming live on the website. And ATP Tennis Radio are rebroadcasting US Open Radio, so you're not going to miss anything. And, and it's covering ATP and WTA, so anything US Open Radio covers, you will hear that via ATP Tennis Radio. And next week, Brian Clark is going to be back with your, your halfway podcast, bringing you everything that's gone on and everything that's going to come. But from, from Nick and I in the hotel lobby in Manhattan, we've made our picks, and now we just hope you enjoy the tennis. If you like this podcast, please search the iTunes store for ATP Tennis Radio to leave a review. Review.